down. Come smoke with your boy. Grinder. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. doing yeah it's wednesday it's high noon oops sorry about that that was unprofessional it's wednesday it's high noon it's time for the altcast here on mutiny radio i am one of the hosts pam benjamin boy am i hoping that latoya the sheriff of truth win is coming in today because she makes it easier for me to do the socialist fake news and other things for me and use yeah mutiny radio yay all right. Well, today, definitely want to talk about Westworld because, yeah, I'm obsessed. It's a smart show. Makes me feel like an intelligent individual, and I like that. So, these violent delights come to violent ends. Oh, poor Teddy. Poor, poor Teddy. Uh, if you haven't been watching Westworld, spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about Westworld today. We'll see. We'll see what LaToya, uh, when she gets here, what she wants to converse about. There's been a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, there's always crazy stuff in the news. When is there? When is it not happening right now? That the world is absolutely falling apart. A hundred percent. I mean, even in this city where we're all supposed to be nice and stuff. And I was on a muni bus yesterday and... It was amazing what happened, actually. The bus driver started screaming at a person outside the window. But not for, like, a traffic infraction or anything of that nature, but, like, screaming. It was crazy. It was crazy. It was great. It was crazy. I uh, was like, you don't write. You don't write. I'm sitting here going like, what is he talking about? He's screaming at me, you motherfucker. And the guy on the street's like giving him like the, I'm jacking off a fake dick in front of you thing. And our bus driver is screaming. And I was like, wow, this, the world is falling apart. Hell in a handbasket, everyone. Let's get on board. Once the, once the most patient people in the universe, the muni drivers, start screaming at people about personal beef. He, did, he even didn't even go through a, a green light. I was like, wow, this is real. Ooh, it was exciting yesterday. Ooh, you know, it's not exciting. It's been difficult uh, this week with comedy. I was on a roll there for a while and doing really well. And now, just back to normal and not funny anymore. So that's happening. Yay. Uh, again, boy, I really hope that Latoya's coming because I don't want to have to 
tell you guys about my Greek trip, trip twice. So I, I got all excited last week because of Delos and looking it up from episode uh, four, I believe it was, the Fidelity one. And, or was it five? I can't remember now. I'm all, no, it was four because five was when Maeve was in the other, the Shogun world. Uh, but so, Delos, the name of the company, the name of the guy, I look it up. It's, it's an island in Greece. It's a, it's the, supposedly the birthplace of Apollo and Artemis. Exciting stuff, like super holy revered uh, island off of Mykonos. So I'm, Jonathan and I are going to Rome and Greece and I'll tell you guys all about it. The internet's being poopity duperdens right now. I don't understand. I don't get it. Why? There we go. So I'm gonna find some music and we're gonna play it because I'm a little bit brain dead without the concept of Latoya. I'll be honest. I need her. God, I hope she's coming today. It sucks when she's not here. You guys know it. I mean, I was prepared the last time. So hopefully this time, because I'm clearly not prepared today. Let me, we'll see what's happening here on the, in the world. Okay, here's what's going on. You guys can do this too at home, but... Uh, I hate the T word. I just don't even... I just don't even want to deal with it, but it's everywhere. Uh, oh, this is awful. Remember when I used to do Gnarl News? Uh, Supreme Court blocks appeal allowing Arkansas to restrict medical abortions. First, when did we decide to pronounce it Arkansas? I mean, it's spelled Arkansas. 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 There's no W. Who decided it was Arkansas? That seems so strange to me. But that's beside the point. Uh, oh, surprising. These backward people are restricting medical abortions. So first they show a little picture here. It's a mifepristinone, a drug used in medical abortions. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court refused to hear an appeal from an Arkansas Planned Parenthood affiliate challenging a law that would effectively ban medical abortions in the state. So no more are you 486. 86, the baby, no more. Here we go. The Supreme Court refused to hear a case from a Planned Parenthood affiliate in Arkansas on Tuesday, letting stand a lower court decision upholding a law that would restrict medication-induced abortions in the state. The law states that doctors providing abortion pills must hold a contract with another physician who has admitting privileges at a hospital and who would agree to handle complications, according to the Chicago Tribune. Physicians who do not abide by that requirement may face criminal penalties. The Supreme Court did not comment on why it decided not to hear the Planned Parenthood affiliates case, which argued that the law is medically unnecessary and compared it to Texas measure that the high court struck down in 2016. That law would require doctors performing abortions to have admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles. Attorneys for Arkansas argued that their law is different 
because it does not have proximity criteria for hospitals where doctors have admitting privileges. Having a medical abortion is commonly known as taking the abortion pill and entails taking two medications, mifepristone and misoprostol. Mifepristone is taken at a clinic and misoprostol is taken 6 to 48 hours later, usually at home. The medicines cause cramping and an emptying of the uterus. According to a study conducted in 2014, 1 in 20 women will have an abortion by age 20, about 1 in 5 by age 30, and about 1 in 4 by age 45. Planned Parenthood said it will now challenge the law in the U.S. District Court, according to CNN. Arkansas currently may enforce the law, and if it does, it will be the only state to effectively ban medical abortion. Planned Parenthood clinics in Little Rock and Fayetteville in Arkansas offer just medical abortions, meaning the state's only other abortion clinic, also in Little Rock, is likely the only one that would continue operating if the law takes effect, since it also performs surgical abortions. As Greg Storr noted in Bloomberg, this limitation would mean some women in the state would have to travel hundreds of miles to reach the remaining Little Rock clinic. This article originally appeared in the HuffPost. Yeah, this is uh, scary and sick, everybody. Are you fucking... I'm Really? Uh, super bummer here that they're saying that no medical abortions. So that's insane. So if you live in Arkansas, you have to go all the way to Little Rock to get an abortion. Wow, it, like it's easier to go to another state and then... You know, most people's insurance don't cover it anymore. Why do we hate women so much? I. Uh, but more importantly, why is Arkansas pronounced that way? Uh, why we pronounce Kansas and Arkansas differently? All right, thank you, Christina Sturbens. Two state names, Arkansas and Kansas share all but two letters in the exact same order. So why do we pronounce them differently? We can thank the French. Arkansas was named for the French plural of a Native American tribe, while Kansas is the English spelling of a similar one. Since the letter S at the end of a French word is usually silent, we pronounce Bill Clinton's home state, Arkansas. Oh, because the S on the end is silent, so you just end with the A, Arkansas. Ah, the A sound. Technically, Kansas and Arkansas stem from the same basic root. Kased. Kased, the native root for the Kansas tribe, often thought to mean people of the south wind. Kansas is also named for the Kansas River, which is named for the Kansa tribe. It's also the English spelling, though naturally we pronounce the final S. The French, however, left their mark on Arkansas's pronunciation. French explorers learned a sect of the Quapa, a Native American tribe in the territory known as Arkansas, from the Algonquins, who called the people Arkansas, most likely related to the Kansa tribe. Various French documents and books spelled the name state's name various ways. A-R-K-A-N-C-A-S, R-A-K-A-N-S-A, A-R-K-A-N-C-E-A-S. But it's absolutely certain that the name as pronounced by the Indians was the name as if pronounced by our language, Arkansas, according to the publication of Arkansas Historical Association. The S on the end is simply a French addition, 
than a silent and, and a silent one at that. It's clear then that the name Kansas spelled in English while Arkansas is a French orthography and the two names should not be pronounced alike according to the Kans Arkansas Historical Association. Well, now we know. Knowing's half the battle. Go, Joe. Well, so now we know why Arkansas is pronounced in such like a interesting and unique way, but why they decide to find these unique ways to shut down women's rights and, you know, healthcare. This is human right, guys, to healthcare. But one of our states, oof, I bet they also still, um, I, I bet they also have a problem with weeds still. Let's check that out. Uh, let's see how backwards they are. Arkansas and marijuana. Hey, Arkansas and mar marijuana. Top three marijuana stocks to buy? Why does that have to do with Arkansas? Isn't that interesting? Arkansas round trip, lowest price guaranteed. Um, here we go. This is relatively uh, timely. This is from April in 2018. Analysis. Few ways out of Arkansas's medical pot stalemate. So I guess they're still in medical marijuana. Uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. Weeks after he effectively halted the launch of Arkansas's medical marijuana program, a judge is urging officials to find a way to resume evaluating applications. That's going to be easier said than done. Pulaski County Circuit Judge Wendell Griffin last week encouraged the state's Medical Marijuana Commission to fix the problem he raised last month when he said the state's process for licensing cultivation facilities violated the voter-approved 2016 constitutional amendment legalizing medical marijuana. Griffin also indicated he didn't view his ruling against the process as appealable to the state Supreme Court yet. The court hopes that the present ruling will clear the way for Medical Marijuana Commission and its co-defendants to proceed while the work required to properly screen, evaluate, and select medical marijuana cultivation facility licenses. Griffin wrote in a ruling last week denying requests to lift his preliminary injunction against the licensing process. Griffin's ruling came the same day the state announced that it was putting on hold the review of hundreds of applications from businesses that want to sell medical marijuana, citing Griffin's earlier preliminary injunction, preventing the state from issuing cultivation licenses. Griffin last month sided with an unsuccessful applicant who claimed the state's scoring of the 95 applicants for cultivation licenses was flawed and cited potential conflicts of interest by the Medical Marijuana Commission's five members. Griffin also said the state didn't properly verify whether the cultivation facilities were at least 3,000 feet away from daycares, schools, and churches as required by the medical marijuana amendment. Wow, 3,000 feet. 3,000 feet, how far is that? That's almost a mile, isn't it? Isn't it 3,000 feet conversion to mile? It's just under a mile, right? It's half a mile, 0.56 miles. Wow. So in Arkansas, they want you to have a medical marijuana dispensary 0.6 miles away from any school. Wow, that's far. That basically means you can't have it like in town. I mean, I guess it's a small state, but wow. 
uh, 3,000 feet away from daycare schools and churches as required by the medical marijuana amendment. The state's decision to stop reviewing dispensary applications for now has disheartened, med- disheartened medical marijuana supporters. David Couch, the attorney who wrote the medical marijuana amendment voters approved two years ago, said the pause would harm patients since the dispensaries are allowed under the amendment to grow a limited amount of marijuana. It's very sad for the patients because I think dispensaries could meet the need of the patient pool we have now and the anticipated patient pool, said Couch, who applied for the cultivation and dispensary licenses. Couch said he believed the commission could make minor tweaks to its dispensary licensing process to address Griffin's concern over the cultivation facilities or even to switch to a new method like a lottery-style system akin to the process used for awarding liquor permits. Finding a way to move forward on cultivation licenses may be even trickier. The state has signed, shown no signs of dropping its plans to appeal Griffin's ruling, halting the process, and four of the successful applicants last week also filed notice, notices that they would challenge his ruling to the Supreme Court as well. Those appeals set the stage for a potentially protracted legal fight that will keep cultivation licensing in limbo for even further. Griffin, however, has pointed to past Supreme Court and appeals court rulings that a decision sending an action back to administrative agency for further proceedings is not a final order that can be appealed. But overhauling the licensing process or reevaluating the 95 applicants to grow medical marijuana is also problematic. The five successful applicants are unlikely to accept a dole over dole over do over oof a do over after already being awarded licenses once most of the successful applicants had tried to convince griffin to lift his preliminary injunction a request he denied last week starting from scratch is just as likely to end up before the state supreme court in his order last week, Griffin repeat, repeated his concern raised last month that Arkansans who suffer from chronic debilitating and life-threatening heart health conditions must now endure more delay before gaining much-needed access to locally grown medical marijuana because the defendants, state agencies responsible for implementing the medical marijuana amendment to the Arkansas Constitution, violated their constitutional administrative duties. Despite that warning, the options for avoiding a delay could be dwindling. This was an AP News story by Andrew DeMillo about Arkansas being backward. So not only are you keeping sick people away from medicine that works, that, uh, I mean, do they not have Netflix in Arkansas? Have you not watched that great new documentary about um, medical marijuana in Australia? Guess not. Well, for whatever reason, we still have a huge stigma against marijuana. And that's not even that's not even for recreational. That's just for medical in Arkansas. I mean, in California, we've had medical since 96. So, I, I just... The stigma that we put on one another is just... It's kind of unnerving, actually. Well, Arkansas, poo-poo on you. You know, no abortions... No, no weed. What? Why would? Why would anyone ever want to live in Arkansas? <laughs> I'm so mean. I'm gonna be mean to Arkansas people right now. Are they the ones that put us in this dilemma with our current president? Which is, I mean, I can't. I haven't even. I haven't even thought about that all week, just because I find it so depressing that I can't. I can't. You know what I mean? I just can't. 
think about it because it's too depressing, which is why I'm going to go to Greece on my pilgrimage to Delos. Yes, of course. Delos! Uh, and I love these new... There's a bunch of them now, Westworld Explained, and they are great. This is crazy. Uh, I wish LaToya was here for this uh, article. Racial anxiety overshadows black experience in America. What is What does that mean? Like, white people are so scared. Racial anxiety overshadows black experience in America. Let's see what they mean. Key to racial sensitivity training is like what Starbucks is providing its employees is awareness of how black people are conscious of racism in every aspect of their public lives. Wow. Wow. Uh, let's listen to this, I suppose. Why not? You're listening to the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. I wish LaToya was here because uh, this racial anxiety overshadows black experience in America. Let's find out. Better not give me a commercial. That's going to overshadow my experience. Sorry, but we're unable to load a message from our sponsors. Well, good. Thank you. Ha, 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 ha. And... I don't, it's saying click here to enable ads. No, thank you. Here's what happened when Starbucks closed all of its US stores for racial bias training. I mean, this reminds me of when I was, uh, I used to work in a kind of a corporate environment um, and we had to have a meeting about integrity. Turning now to the reason we are in Philadelphia, today's racial sensitivity training at Starbucks locations across the country. This after an employee in April called the police on two black men who were sitting in the store and had not yet purchased anything. And Rev, you got the call not long after the outcry. Uh, what, what was the ask? He asked me what did I think many of uh, our activist groups, our chapter here and others were involved in the marching. And I said that this is not about sitting down with civil rights leaders. He called many of us writing a check. This is about y'all have got to deal with the culture in your stores. They said, that's what we want to do. And as they went on and they said they were going to do this day and got credible people like Cheryl and I, like Eric Holder involved, then many of us said, well, this seems to be a genuine effort, but it can't be a one day thing. There has to be a beginning, not an end. But I must say they put people on and anybody's ever been in a room with Sherilyn and Heather and Eric Holder know that is no easy room to be in. <laughs> well, you, re you recently uh, sat down with Kevin Johnson. The CEO I went to Seattle last Friday and met with him and Howard Schultz. And then I asked him, would he do an interview that I could really confront him on? Is this a one day feel good thing? And let me show you what he said about some of this. People don't understand that when you are black, 
mm -hmm. American and, and, and a different level of women, mm -hmm. you actually have to get up in the morning and get yourself geared up for uh, a different environment that you're going to be looked upon as a suspect rather than mm -hmm. a customer. You're going to be mm -hmm. facing all these things. And the anger and the resentment that builds up even subconsciously comes in. And then you're facing people who have inbuilt fears mm -hmm. and warning signs. And collisions are going to happen until we deal with the root cause of where all of us come from, which is a culture of race-based prejudices and presumptions. Well, that's, that's one of the learnings that we've uh, woven into this is the, the term racial anxiety and how that affects different people and different races in different ways. Being able to have those conversations and be able to listen for understanding and start to understand how other people, people that have uh, differences, can uh, better interact in a more comfortable way, in a more transparent way, in a more uh, understanding way, that starts to bring those barriers down and create uh, uh, you know, a different way for people to connect. So, Sherilyn, you worked on the, the, the training here, and, and I was really, to the res point, I was really interested when I saw that you were included, because you work on the structural features of racism and white supremacy in America. And it's hard to square that, I think, in your mind about like, bias training, which seems sometimes like it's just about manners. <laughs> so what, I'm curious about what you wanted to make sure was in that training that people took away today. So, um, first of all, I'm not a, a trainer. I'm not a bias trainer. And we were very clear about that from the very beginning. This is not what I do. Um, mostly I've been in the posture of suing corporations for engaging in discrimination, <laughs> right. not training them. That's one way um, of training. So that's, you know, uh, um, but that, that was not this. What, what, what we said we would do and what the reason that I wanted to be involved is that this company articulated a desire to address directly, first of all, the issue of racism, which is, I mean, I'm, I don't want to just move past that like that happens every day. Um, number two, they recognized that this could not be managed with a one-off, and they were open. They wanted to know, what should we be doing? Which is a very different thing than saying, I want you to come help me with this. They wanted to know, what should we be doing? So what we signed up for is to help them think through a whole variety of things. They had announced that they were going to do this training on 529. We, we uh, agreed that we would get them the people that we thought were the most important, the most credible in our communities who do this kind of work and who understand what it is. But all of us understand that training alone is not enough, certainly not one day of training. Um, I think it was a powerful statement and is a powerful statement and therefore important. But as you know, in any job, training requires repetition. It requires supervision. It requires discipline when you don't adhere to the training. But most important, it begins with the policies of the company. And so there has to be a policy review and policies have to be enacted if the company wants to inculcate this value of inclusivity that they have articulated. Yep. And so, um, you know, we, we're doing a, a, a review. Um, we are talking with our allies in the field and have been getting their input on the kinds of things they want to see. We think it's important to remember that Starbucks is located in 8,000 communities around this country. I don't know another corporate actor located that ubiquitously throughout the United States who has articulated a desire to deal with racism. And so it, it was worth a try. And it's worth a try not only for them to work internally, but also for them to think through what is the relationship that they should be having with the communities in which their stores sit. Well, let's, uh, let's take a look at that first step, uh, a portion of the training material that was actually shown today to Starbucks workers. 
I have to make sure that I have given enough space between myself and another patron or another uh, commuter on the train and just ensure that I'm not making someone uncomfortable. I have to make sure that my hands are visible when I walk into certain places so they make sure I don't, I'm not stealing. I watch my tone to make sure that I don't come off as threatening. Just leaving the house some days, you know, it's, it's sometimes it just keep you at home and just keep you away from everything. It's depressing, right, to hear the sort of the fear that people have to even be in public spaces. I mean, you're, you're shaking your head, Valerie. Well, because I just think about what that's doing to the heart and soul of our young people to grow up in a place where you feel, as Sherlyn said, like an other or less than human or threatening when you're just trying to go about your day-to-day -day life. And it is disheartening, but I do give Starbucks credit. They stepped into the fray and they said what they were going to do and they made a not a one-time commitment but a long-term commitment. And hopefully they're leading by example and other companies will see that they have to do the same. Disney did that today. And hopefully we are beginning to change the tone. But it's gonna take everybody putting pressure and we can't just rely on our civil rights leaders to carry this alone. Every single one of you has a responsibility as a citizen to get involved and say something. So why isn't our president saying everything if everyone needs to say something? Everybody except our president. How about that? Everybody except him. The person who's basically, you know, he could stand up and say, hey, racism is an issue in this country and we need to deal with it. But what has he said? What has he said? Oh, nothing. Oh, did I? Nothing? Was that what? Did that? Oh. When a white Starbucks manager in Philadelphia called the cops on two black men for sitting in the store without buying anything, Starbucks found itself facing a massive PR crisis. The company responded by announcing that today, all 8,000 of its company-owned locations would close early for staff to attend racial bias training. Starbucks invited Vice News to a media event to hear a sanitized readout from employees who participated. Most Americans don't like talking about race, and they definitely don't like talking about their own racism. So it's sort of hard to imagine the guy who makes your venti non-fat caramel macchiato suddenly becoming more woke just because he sat through a four-hour seminar. Dear Starbucks partners, I'm Stanley Nelson, a documentary filmmaker. My films are about race, America, and the decades-long struggle for all people to be treated as equals in public spaces. This training might make people less likely to call the cops on you, but it's sort of hard to know how your average Starbucks employee feels about the whole thing, because Starbucks won't let us talk to any baristas or anybody who you'd actually interact with in a Starbucks. Instead, they invited a bunch of media outlets to interview a hand-picked group of district managers who all seemed really excited about the whole training thing. It was a really great uh, experience. It was a really great interaction uh, that I got to have with some of my peers. Were there any moments in there that felt uncomfortable at all? I don't know that uncomfortable is the right word to describe. Mm -hmm. There were times that um, I watched some things and it made me go, wow, uh, I don't experience life like that. Well, I have to make sure that my hands are visible when I walk into certain places so they make sure I don't, I'm not stealing. Just leaving the house some days, you know, it's, it's sometimes it just keep you at home just keep you away from everything. That was a little bit like a punch to the gut a little bit. But for a lot of people, say black people, 
This isn't so much a punch in the gut as it is just a reminder of what you go through every single day. And that doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun to sit through. And that's the thing. Starbucks says they want to confront all forms of bias. But most of their training material is laser focused on anti-black racism, which isn't bad in and of itself. But it's not just black people who deal with bias in America. Islamophobia is still happening. Homophobia has not gone away. People are getting yelled at for speaking Spanish in public. Starbucks says this is just the first session in a larger training plan. But for right now, it feels like a narrow response to what happened to black people in Philadelphia. And even that might not make much of a difference. Do you think you can train racism out of people? I don't, I don't, I do not feel um, I can answer that question. I'm not sure if, because it's, I don't think that's something that you can train and you cannot train. I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess if it's, it's, if it's something that is trained into people, mm. why wouldn't you be able to train it out of people? Uh, no, I don't, I don't, and I don't think that's what the attempt of today was either. Wow. Wow. Starbucks. Crazy times in the United States. Things are crazy times. This, uh, I'm interested in this one because it has to do with El Presidente. Uh, Let's check it out. Thanks for listening to the to the Sparkcast or the Sparkcast. I'm so confused. I've been doing so many podcasts now that I just can't even keep them all straight. This is the AltaCast, and uh, we're talking about racism right now. I guess Latoya is not coming. Boo. Welcome back. I'm Poppy Harlow in New York. And this afternoon, 8,000 Starbucks stores across the country will close to train employees on racial bias. This all stems from an incident last month that sparked nationwide uproar. Two black men, Dante Robinson, Rashawn Nelson, were arrested in a Philadelphia Starbucks. The store manager called the police after the men said they were in the store just two minutes without placing an order. They were there to meet a friend. The backlash was swift. It sparked Many to talk of a Starbucks boycott. Starbucks apologized, condemned the actions of the store manager. And this morning, Starbucks has taken out a full-page ad in the New York Times, USA Today, Philadelphia newspapers from the chairman, Howard Schultz, calling what happened to these two men reprehensible, vowing this will be a new chapter in the company's history. And Howard Schultz is with me. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Poppy. Howard, you said when this happened, you were personally ashamed, embarrassed, and you said we were wrong in every way. Can you say definitively, these two men were arrested and, and the police were called because they were black? I, I can absolutely say that of all the incidents and situations in the almost 50 years of history at Starbucks, this situation was not only reprehensible, but we were ashamed, horrified, and I think it's totally inconsistent with the values and guiding principles and the humanity of the company. And that's why we've taken such a swift action, immediately going to Philadelphia. Uh, meeting with the two young men, apologizing, and then asking ourselves, in view of what took place, we have a responsibility, a moral obligation, to look at this and realize we need to advance the training about the issues that the country is facing and what is happening in our stores. So that will happen today. Um, 8,000 Starbucks stores across the country are going to be closed all afternoon. Yeah. You're going to train 175,000 workers 
on anti-bias training. Some of that is going to be showing them this documentary by the legendary uh, documentary filmmaker Stanley Nelson, which I watched part of it, uh, where you have young black men and women talking about wanting to walk out of a house and feel as safe as any white person would feel. You're going to have the woman, Sherilyn Eiffel, who heads the NAACP Legal Defense Fund participating in this training. What will actually happen? Well, first off, uh, I've gone through the training myself, okay. as has the entire leadership team of the company last week. And we did that so that we could experience it firsthand. It's interactive. It's been co-authored by Brian Stevenson, Sherilyn Eiffel, Heather McGee. Uh, and I think we wanted to try and really get professional people to, uh, to help us understand and walk in the shoes of people of color and understand that racial bias does exist, unconscious bias exists, and what can we do as a company to create the reference points to, uh, to establish empathy and compassion and a welcoming environment for everyone. For critics who say, this is an afternoon, how on earth can you tackle racial bias and unconscious bias in an afternoon? Well, I think the most important thing to do is we need to have the conversation. We need to start. Uh, we, we, we realize that four hours of training is not going to solve racial inequity in, in America or, in, or anyone coming into our stores that may have a problem, but we have to start the conversation. We've also said that we are deeply committed to this being a long-term journey in which we are going to integrate this training, not only in every Starbucks store from this point on, but also the onboarding of 100,000 new people a year. So this is the beginning of more trainings to come? Yes, without question, and we're going to do this around the world. What was the gut Howard, I've interviewed you for, I don't know, almost a decade yeah. now, right? And this company is as ingrained in you, arguably, as, as almost as family. You are Starbucks. Starbucks is you in many ways. So can you just tell me your gut? What did you feel when you realized this happened to these two men because of their race? I, I was personally horrified by it. I, uh, when you think about the values of Starbucks, providing health insurance, free college tuition, uh, the things we've done for Opportunity Youth, veterans, refugees, all of these things, mm -hmm. uh, for this to happen is such an anathema. However, it did happen. And we did not blame the manager. We took full responsibility. I took full responsibility, immediately went to Philadelphia. But, but from a personal level, it was hard for me to actually imagine this could happen at Starbucks. And in, in a way, because it did happen. Why, why is it hard for you to imagine it could happen at Starbucks? You think of sort of on every corner, and you think about race relations in this country. I mean, there was a the poll last year that showed that 70% seven, of Americans feel like race relations have gotten worse yeah. in the last decade. Because the culture and values of the company are so steeped in compassion and humanity. 40% mm. uh, of our workforce are people of color. We've, we've hired over 100,000 opportunity youth over the last couple of years. So we are steeped in an understanding of inclusion and diversity as part of the history of Starbucks. So I think some people watching this right now might look and say, what does he, Howard Schultz, a very wealthy white executive, know about discrimination? What they don't know is that you were born and raised very poor in a very tough part of Brooklyn. You're a Jewish American. Mm -hmm. Have you lived discrimination? Well, it's interesting you should ask that question because part of, the, of going through the training is for each one of us in an intimate fashion to share our personal life experience. It's our personal life experience that has shaped whether or not we have bias. I grew up in a building with 100 families 
with one elevator, 100 apartments of a very diverse group of people, white, black, Italian, Jewish, Puerto Rican, Cuban, and we all had to get along. I, I did not see color as a kid, and I think one of the reasons why this is such an anathema to me mm -hmm. is because the entire company's history is based on the fact that we are all in this together and the inclusion of Starbucks is part of the success of the company. Were you discriminated against? I, I was not discriminated against as a kid. When I went to school in Michigan, I was the only Jew in my dorm. Uh, Kids had never met a Jewish person, but I, I did not suffer discrimination. Uh, in 2015, uh, Starbucks launched the Race Together campaign. This was after the killings of Michael Brown and Ferguson, Eric Garner here in New York and the ensuing protests. And you have admitted, I mean, it's when they, people wrote yeah, the baristas Race Together on the Cups. That program ended, you admitted that it that failed, and you talked about people, Americans, being so uncomfortable talking about race. But you're doing it again. You're talking about yeah. race. You're closing your stores to do it. Is corporate America too scared to talk about race overall? I, th I you know, what I've said publicly, and I've said this consistently, I said, given the polarization in Washington and the political class of dysfunction that we have experienced for years, that corporate corporations, businesses, and business leaders have a moral obligation today to do much more for their employees and the communities they serve. And race should be a subject that we should be able to talk about, but, even though it's difficult. But are they doing it enough overall? No, I mean, obviously not. And I, I think, I mean, what we're doing today is historic. There's no company in America that has ever done anything quite like this. How much will it cost Starbucks? This will be tens of millions of dollars. Tens of millions. And it's interesting. I, you know, I got a call from an institutional shareholder complaining that this is a expense that Starbucks should not make. Yeah. And what I said was, no, this is not an expense. This is an investment in our people and in our community. It's also a call you got years ago when you started giving health care to more part-time workers. So Same kind of situation. There's a really interesting opinion piece on CNN.com right now. It was written by Jesse Williams, the actor and activist, and also Judith Brown Dianis, uh, the executive director of advancement of the project's national office. Here's what it reads. While Starbucks has taken steps to use last month's incident as a teachable moment for countless employees, these occurrences will continue. The rhetoric from the White House has exacerbated the problem, opening the door to increased overt racist behavior. Are they right? I don't think in, in they're, what they're stating, I think, can, has contributed to the problem, but I think the totality of the issue is beyond the White House. So has President Trump's rhetoric personally on race exacerbated racism in America? I, I would say on a personal level, it probably has given license to people to feel as if they can emulate and copy the kind of behavior and language that comes out of this administration. Shots fired. The racial divide and the uh, inequities that exist mm -hmm. between people of color uh, and Caucasians in America is a problem that has existed for quite some time. Yeah. And I think we have to ask ourselves a very important question, and that is what, what kind of country do we want to live in? And from my perspective, we want to live in a country in which we love and respect every American. And you have to ask yourself about the promise of America and the American dream. And if it's not available to everybody, if people feel as if the color of their skin or their station in life is not going to provide them the same opportunity as someone who's white and who has a better zip code, right. 
then the country is not going to succeed in terms of its long-term aspirations. Economic disparity, yes. uh, the lack of social mobility, the upward dream that so many people live, that you lived coming from yeah. East New York, I mean, I'm, Brooklyn. I'm the poster child of the American dream. Is there so. anything, and I know you've been critical of this administration. I just had to stop for a second and let you guys know that this interview is two white people talking about racism. But that's that's fine. It's good. At least it's being you know talked about and addressed. And I really like that he just called out the president for creating a culture for accepting and reveling in and being a part of and not negating a culture of racism that exists. And as the president of the United States, you actually have responsibility to, I don't know, be a good person. And um, as we've learned in the past, racism, ain't, it's not real good. It, you know, a lot of people get hurt over it. Uh, let's, I mean, I don't want to bring out the Holocaust, but he is a Jew, right? Like racism. All right, here, we'll just go back to them. This is, here we go. But I wonder if you think there is anything that the Trump administration can do, Howard, to help. You're doing what Starbucks is doing today. It's going to cost you tens of millions of dollars. What could the White House do to help close the divide? You know, it may sound a little trite, but I, I mean it in a very heartfelt way. And I would, I would just say, let's, let's put humanity in the center of our conversation. And if the White House and the president would view through the lens of humanity, the policies that uh, I think are so important to the future of the country, whether it's immigration, uh, whether it's trade, uh, all of these things have such rhetoric to it, and the political class is not helping. Uh, I mean, we're sitting today as an example with 20, almost $21 trillion of debt. Yep. Uh, uh, in addition to that, almost $500 billion of interest expense. We, we can't function as a country if the environment domestically is such is under such pressure. But so here, here's what the president points to, right? He'll point to the lowest unemployment rate we've seen in, in decades. He points specifically to African-American unemployment is now down to 6.6%. It's higher than white unemployment. It's the lowest it's been since 1972. Um, does he deserve credit for that? Like he, like he claims? Well, I think when you have five million young Americans, opportunity youth who are not in school, not in work, many of which are people of color, when you have almost 45% of households in America that don't have $400 for an emergency, when you have a yeah. mental health crisis in America, when you have a homeless crisis in America, let's go a different way. Uh, the, the most uh, respected, trusted institution in the United States today is the United States military. And yet, at the same time, the probably the poster child for the worst government agency, which is a $200 billion budget agency, is the VA. The VA. How do you square that up? Yeah. And so, uh, I, I really, let's take a step back from the politics and the rhetoric and, and let's ask ourselves, how can we be servant leaders and how can we serve the American people in a way in which everyone has a shot at the promise of America? Let me ask you about trade because China is your second largest market outside of the United States. It's critically important for Starbucks. It's critically important for the U.S. economy and U.S. jobs given the reciprocal trade yeah. that we do. The White House just moments ago this morning has announced a 25% tariff on $50 yeah. billion worth of Chinese goods. Are you concerned about that? Are you concerned it will exacerbate what is already the beginning, many say, of a trade war? What does that mean? 
Uh, let's take Starbucks out of the equation for a moment. I'm, I, in the history of the country, especially over the last 50 years, every time that we have had a conflict of trade, and there have been trade wars, it has resulted in a downturn of the economy of the United States. This is a policy that is not correct. And so it I would doesn't say, help U.S. jobs? No, it doesn't help U.S. jobs, and it is, it's political rhetoric, and kind of metaphorically, and, and this is what I really believe, the country and America should not be building walls of any kind. We should be building bridges. Yay. We should be creating our opportunity of trust and confidence with our allies all over the world and building bridges with all of the countries in which we want to do business with. This is not the approach we should be taking. Is 2020 out of the question for you, Howard Schultz? Are we going to go there again? As someone who talks about, in any way, not just uh, as president, is there any way that serving in the government is still in your mind from I would, 2020? What I would say is that I'm, I'm as concerned an American citizen as I ever have been. I want to be as involved as I possibly can as a citizen to help the country. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that's going to mean in the future. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Wow, I never thought that I would be a fan of the Starbucks president. Did not see that one coming. He had a lot of things to say that I totally agree with and bringing it down to humanity. And that's what it needs to be about. What is a human? And that's why I love Westworld, right? Because we're they as a amazing series are discussing these really heady ideas uh, of what is it what does it mean to be uh, a human what what is that line like what if we if we evolved to where you know you take your brain out and put it in a robot is that still your brain is that still your essence is that what is happening you're making your own choices and but you aren't what that was Anyways, it, with the whole Delos thing, it's got Greek overtones. We go back to, you know, Greek philosophy and Plato and the chair. Well, but what makes a human, what makes a man a man? What makes us be moral? Is that, does that matter? Like, all of these just big, like, humanity questions that only rich people are able to discuss because they all went to college and sit around. But we do need to worry about, honestly, everybody, let's be a little more human. Watch a little more Westworld, read another book. So another crazy thing um, that happened was the Roseanne racist scandal thing of her being racist or whatever. Um, President Trump now breaking his silence on the cancellation of Roseanne Barr's show after she went on an amb what she says is an ambient-infused racist tweet storm. Trump tweeting just moments ago this. Bob Iger of ABC called Valerie Jarrett to let her know that, quote, ABC does not tolerate comments like those made by Roseanne Barr. Gee, says the president, he never called President J Donald J. Trump to apologize for the horrible statements made and said about me on ABC. Maybe I just didn't get the call. What a baby. Yeah. Joining me right now, Crystal is a CNN politics reporter and editor-at-large, Nichelle Turner, CNN contributor and host of Entertainment Tonight on CBS. <clears throat> Chris? What should we make of Donald Trump's first initial response after so many people have said, where is the president on this? This is where he is. 
me, 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 me. That's where he is. I mean, it's not different than most things. Let's remember this is a president who, in a Memorial Day tweet, made it about his ability to lower the unemployment rate. So uh, we shouldn't be terribly surprised. Uh, you know, I would have predicted that Donald Trump would go after the so-called fake news media uh, in a tweet, but he went in a what is a sort of traditional direction for him, which is to make it about himself. Now, I'm not totally sure, Kate, what he's referring to uh, in terms of his being attacked on yeah. ABC. Uh, always hold open the possibility with Donald Trump that the, the attacks don't exist. They might, but they also might not. Um, but this is Donald Trump making about him. Remember, he has a persecution complex. He has a victim complex. He views himself always as on the outside looking in while elites laugh at him not being allowed in. This is more of the same. But, Nichelle, why on earth here would the president want to make this, want to make this about him? Of course, want entertainment. Lord, if I had the answer to that, Kate, I could retire right now. You wouldn't now. need to be on that's TV like with me. Six, yeah. Right, that's a $64 million question. I mean, um, you know, I think that, like Chris said, a lot of things come back to him when he's talking about them, and I think that he does feel like that he's been maligned in several instances uh, on ABC. I mean, listen, if we're being honest, there are some shows the ladies of the view that round table they go in they go in on a daily yeah. basis uh, on him and I think you know lately people have been bringing up Keith Olbermann who is on ESPN which is mm -hmm. you know um, uh, Disney owned and he is not a fan of the president so that's and probably he what he's things, yeah. right that's probably what he's talking about but I also think you know one of Roseanne's last uh, tweets and on her tweet tirade uh, today was I feel bad for the president because he has to go through this every day so who knows? He could be drawing from that and saying, well, you know, Roseanne uh, said that, that she feels bad for me. I'm treated badly. So there you go. Michelle, is this going to be in any way satisfy, satisfying initial response from the president of the United States on, I mean, I'm sure, and I hope you were, folks were able to see, but Charles Blow laid out in, yes. in a way that only he can. That mm -hmm. this is this was way more than a tweet. What's the? Oh what's my gosh! On? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's emblematic of what What's we're happening? dealing with can, in this country no right now. Um, you know, the problem of race in America is more pervasive than I think it's trouble. been in a very long time. And and you were talking I'm, about the I'm fact on, I wasn't in, in the room with you and Charles, right but you were talking about how you could see the pain on his face. I could hear it when I was listening to that. I know it. I feel it. I felt it. I live it. I am a person of color in this country and just because I'm on television does not mean that that I'm you know um away from um, what happens every day yeah. in life. I've had these instances myself, so I get it. And it is a problem. It is something that we do have to address, the normalization of racism yeah. and issues with race in this country. Yay, it's, really, and it's really a problem, and I think we've seen it play out just with people, when I've been looking at Twitter, coming to Roseanne's defense. I was surprised at how many people were coming to her defense and saying, we stand with you, we support you. Oh, you were just joking. That was not a joke. Not a joke in any way, shape, or form. And she knows it. What Chris, did she say? Um, I still don't know what she said. In a raw um, political sense, mm -hmm. was this Donald Trump somehow threading some strange needle of not <clears throat> saying, saying 
saying a, a, a lot of words but not passing judgment <laughs> on Roseanne yeah, Barr? It's an interesting thing. So th there's there's roughly a 0% chance Donald Trump is going to condemn Roseanne Barr. So, so right. we have that sort of off the table. It's just not it's not what he does. Uh, he, he That's not what he does. So <clears throat> given our options there, which is to fully defend her or do something else, this isn't the something else category. This is sort of using that situation in which her show was canceled by Bob Iger, the head of ABC, to talk about himself. Uh, is it the sort of moral leadership that past presidents have at least sought to exhibit? Not always successfully, but sought to exhibit? No. I mean, but after... Charlottesville after Roy Moore, after Rob Porter, I, I don't think that we should be surprised that this president is not right. someone who views that office as a place to exhibit moral leadership and do things for the we rather than the me. Well, let's just, uh, <clears throat> let me read you the tweet again. Let's just make sure all everyone gets the tweet because this is, a lot of folks have been waiting to see what the president would say about this in this moment. And here's what the president says. Bob Iger of ABC called Valerie Jarrett to let her know that ABC does not tolerate comments like those made by Roseanne Barr. Gee, he never called President Donald J. Trump to apologize for the horrible statements made and said about me on ABC. Maybe I just didn't get the call. And to think Is Sarah Sanders said last night that he was too busy to talk about this or think about this because he was focused on North Korea. Not so busy this morning. He just referred to himself as a third person, right? That is the that is the least surprising thing. That's that's of this the entire most, tweet. Yeah, the most Michelle, predictable why that thing. Michelle Turner, so much. Michelle Turner, let Kate Baldwin tell you right now. Yeah. Stay close to your Twitters. Thanks, guys. That is so funny. He refers to himself in the third person. It is so funny. Uh, they were great. I'm really glad that uh, I got that. I still don't know what exactly Roseanne said. I'm sure it was something terrible and racist and racist and terrible. And But at, under an Ambien-fueled drug haze, which I love. So this is Ambien responding to Roseanne Barr saying, I'm sorry, I was on an Ambien-infused hazy, hazy-daisy. Which is fair. For those of you that don't know what Ambien is and what it does, it basically gives you a controlled, it gives you a, a blackout, basically. It, um, it's a forced blackout. It's in the benzodiazepine family, I believe, and it makes you not create memories. So it's like when you're, so when you're in a blackout, you are who you are. You know, like some people are talkative, some people aren't. Some people are mean. They don't know what they're doing. They just don't know because they're not there. Like they're there when they're there, but they don't remember that they were there because your brain stops making memories. And that's somehow how like Ambien works. It just forces you into a blackout. So there have been, we've talked about this on the Altcast before, that there have been people who, they, they take Ambien and then they propose to their love of their life. And then in the morning they're like, what? I don't under, what are you talking about? And then the person on the other end of the Ambien doesn't get it. They're like, you were awake. We talked about this. We were naming our children. We were having, we were baby naming. And they're like, no, you're crazy. But it's because of Ambien. It gives you a forced blackout. So here's what Ambien responds to Roseanne Barr. As we mentioned, Roseanne Barr is blaming Ambien for a racist comment on Twitter. She wrote, she's done weird stuff while on Ambien at two in the morning, and it's now trending on Twitter, the word Ambien. The word Ambien, yeah, but that's not the only thing that she blamed throughout a, a very active Twitter evening. Uh, Barr is referring to the highly controversial tweet that she posted yesterday. Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby equals VJ. That is what 
she tweeted uh these uh, th- this is just this is just crazy to me <laughs> weird stuff i think joe rogan is right about ambient not giving it's excuses now trending on twitter the word yeah. ambient. the word ambient yeah but that's not the only thing that she blamed throughout a, a very active twitter evening uh Barr is referring to the highly controversial tweet that she posted yesterday morning saying president obama's former advisor valerie jarrett is the daughter of an ape and someone from the muslim brotherhood the Washington Post media reporter Paul Fari is in D.C. and joins us now. So, Paul, you heard Ambien's snappy response about racism not being a side effect of their sleep aid. What did you make of Roseanne's excuses? I have to say excuses because there were multiple tweets of her explaining why she tweeted that tweet. Yeah, uh, excuse is the word. Uh, There's a long history for Roseanne on these kinds of things. So any one particular tweet, you can't take uh, an excuse. Um, She has uh, proven herself to be kind of a racist, anti-Semite for a very long time, and ABC knew that. Um, I give it to uh, the Ambien people for having a little bit of wit about it and deflecting um, her craziness after the fact. Paul, how do you think that this controversy reflects on ABC. I mean, as you pointed out, ABC knew what they were getting when they hired Roseanne to reboot this series. Uh, in fact, Ben Sherwood, a, f- a few weeks ago, said she's, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, that she's uncontrollable. On the other mm-hmm. hand, the entertainment division is run by Channing Dungey. She's an African-American woman. One reporter told me, you know, it'd be hard for Ms. Dungey to turn up at work every day knowing that Roseanne said what she said on Twitter about another African-American woman likening her to an ape. Sure. Uh, well, it was a calculated risk. I mean, uh, ABC uh, loves ratings like every network does. And uh, Roseanne, the reboot, uh, did 18 million to start, averaged about 10 million. It's really hard to turn down. In the absence of uh, anything else, uh, 10 million viewers for a sitcom is just golden. Um, so the ABC thought we could control her. We could make her focus on her, uh, you know, her sitcom and not on her tweet. They were wrong about that, and they cut their losses. And that's what they did uh, yesterday morning or yesterday afternoon very, very quickly, surprisingly quickly, in the face of uh, Roseanne's tweets. You know, Paul, you said it was a calculated risk, and up until that tweet, it was a risk that was worth it for ABC. It was a rating bonanza. They made millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, they're not the only network that's trying to figure out how to target these red states, right? And they're trying to find shows that, you know, exhibit these blue-collar values, working-class values. I just wonder what it means when there's always a race factor or often a race factor that plays into it. What does it mean about us? I mean, not only did ABC know who Roseanne Barr was, but so did the audience and they watched. Yeah, and they watched back in the 90s when uh, Roseanne was on, you know, in her original uh, format. Um, It's not new for TV to uh, target blue-collar people, uh, rural people. Um, CBS in the 1960s figured this out with Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of shows like Green Acres and Petticoat Junction. Uh, They appealed to the so-called sea counties that were outside the uh, urban uh, centers. So it's 
a strategy and it's a long time strategy. Uh, networks have always uh, pursued it and they will continue to pursue it, uh, Roseanne or no Roseanne. Um, that's what ABC was uh, trying to do. Uh, we, we say that it should, they were tapping into the Trump voter. They were tapping into all kinds of people, um, some of whom might have been Trump voters too. And ignoring Roseanne's reputation in order to tap into that market. Y yes, absolutely. Well, and not so much ignoring it, just hoping that it wouldn't be a problem. Oh, by the way, it turned out to be a problem, a very big problem. And ABC just decided uh, we make, we're going to make this problem go away, mm -hmm. which is what they did very quickly on, on uh, yesterday. Is there an opportunity for Roseanne Barr to ever come back? America loves a good comeback story, uh, and we've seen that time and time again. We've seen it with Mel Gibson, who tweeted, uh, who made anti-Semitic remarks. He made Multiple. remarks um, about African Americans to yeah. an ex of his, um, and he has sort of come back uh, with some very successful films. He's just one example of people that have been able to sort of bounce back from situations like this. Do you think it's in the cards for a person like Roseanne Barr? I think it might be. It might be because she has a lot of currency among, as we said, the Trump voters, uh, among uh, conservatives who embrace her as a symbol of their movement. So it is possible. But I'll give you a couple examples. Bill O'Reilly and Kathy Griffin. Uh, Bill O'Reilly has not yet come back. He might still. Uh, but he is kind of radioactive now. Kathy Griffin was rejected by CNN, at least for the New Year's Eve uh, show after she did that horrific photo shoot, um, she's still kind of struggling to come back. So, you know, it's a mixed uh, bag. You might be able to do it, uh, but it's a big uphill struggle. And, you know, America has a great capacity to forget. Um, uh, you uh, don't you say. Know, uh, Michael Richards uh, from Seinfeld hasn't come back. Mm. So it's hard to say uh, whether or not, um, you know, how long the memory uh, lasts. I think that's a really good thing to point out, Paul, because, um, you know, Roseanne has her defenders. And even Roseanne herself tweeted that other comedians have said worse than her. And, you know, they're not criticized the way she has been. But the truth is, yeah. You know, that has happened, that people's careers have been ruined or they've had to take sort of a step down. Um, and you gave us a list right there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, careers get ruined um, for saying things that are taken seriously by a lot of people. Roseanne isn't some second-rate comic. She is top of the ratings, high profile, and what she tweeted figures into a long stream of tweets. It's unacceptable, it's racist, it's horrible. Uh, ABC recognized that. ABC said, we must stop the bleeding right this second uh, <laughs> because they knew how, how terrible the reaction was and was going to be. There was just no room for them to say, we'll, let, we'll ride this out, we'll put our finger to the wind and see if public reaction dies down. It never was going to die down. Um, she uh, turned herself into persona non grata instantly in that moment. Paul, let me just ask you before you go, because you made a point that I sort of want to drill down on for a second, uh, about the fact that back in the day, in the 1960s, there were a lot of shows that targeted sort of 
America, right? America that existed beyond uh, beyond the coast. Right. The forgotten um, man. The forgotten man. Well, even just shows that were sort of, you know, yeah. homespun, like the Beverly Hillbillies you mentioned, Completely. Petticoat Junction. I, I love the Andy Griffith show go growing up. All those family shows, Ozzy and uh, Harriet and, the, and Leave it to Beaver. And then, as you pointed out, in the late sort of 60s, early 70s, CBS and other networks said, you know what, let's do away with these sort of country shows and become a little bit more progressive. But yet, when you had shows like, for example, All in the Family, um, all those great Norman Lear shows, uh, Carol O'Connor played a racist on television. He wasn't a racist in real life. I wonder, can't these networks just make shows about the folks that feel that their point of views are being represented and not actually hire real life racists? Right, but but I also wonder, like, why, <laughs> if you're targeting racist. this audience, why, if it's all about sort of family values in middle America, why is race a factor? Why is that part of the conversation at all, right? These are supposed yeah. to be values that across the country we all share. Right, but I just, I just you know, there's great actors out there who right. can play great racists there's on a, television. There's an intelligent way of addressing it. You don't it. have to be one in, in your real life. Right. Sure. Uh, you know, but television has changed so much since the 1960s. It's not about mass audience. It's not about broad audiences. It's about niches. It's about finding something that will appeal to a, a relatively small slice of the audience because that's all there is anymore. Mm. There's no show right. that gets uh, Beverly Hillbillies numbers, uh, as odd as it is to say, that was the <laughs> most popular show in America, right. getting tens of millions uh, of viewers. There was nothing else to compete against it, really. Uh, now there is tons and tons of things to compete against it. So, you know, uh, there, there, there aren't that many racists out there uh, who are going to get TV shows. Uh, in fact, we just lost one yesterday. Um, but, but yes, you're right. Ultimately, um, you can depict a racist. You can depict someone from the fringes. Television likes that these days. Uh, watch everything that's on HBO or any other uh, premium network or any other network that is seeking just a small audience. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we can do those shows um, and we don't need real life racists to do them. Good point. Yes, indeed. Uh, Paul Parry from Wow. Well, yeah, we can talk about racism. We don't mean real life racists to do it. Fair enough. Hey, Westworld makes me think about racism because we're racist against fuck robots, right? Hell yeah. Uh, boy, do I love Westworld. All right, let's listen to one more. This is Jimmy Kimmel. We'll listen to something funny about Roseanne's cancellations. She said some racist stuff. I still wonder why... Our president isn't getting called out. Well, because he made it all about him. I found that very, very funny that he refers to himself in the third person. And instead of talking about racism, he talked about himself. It's just so, 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 so typical. And that we're accepting it and everybody's fine with it? That's nuts. Okay, but last one that we'll talk about, Roseanne, and then I'll go into Ambient, unless LaToya gets here, which I think she might. Um, okay, Jimmy Kimmel. the subject of, of terrible things posted online. The biggest story of the day today was Roseanne. Uh, Roseanne, <laughs> you're not going to believe this, but she tweeted something outrageous. No. I know, yeah, right. 
The president did it too. It's crazy. Anyway, ABC decided to cancel their highest rated show, Roseanne, following, following a tweet in which Roseanne compared an African-American woman, a former advisor to President Obama, to an ape, which did not sit well with ABC management or anyone with a brain, really. So they announced that the sh this first season of the show is also its last, which is a huge blow to business. I mean, we don't have much on this network. We're hoping the NBA Finals goes 11 games this year. We're still airing America's Funniest Home Videos, okay? <laughs> Roseanne was a very bigly hit for ABC, and we needed it. But I say, why, why just get, listen, hear me out. Just because Roseanne is gone doesn't mean the whole show has to go. The show must go on. That's what we say in show business. And with that said, I have an idea that I think makes this work for everyone. America's favorite working class family is back. Zutaloa. With all the cast members you love. Hey, Dan. Mr. Connors, sir. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Coming to ABC this fall. Yeah, that job turns out it fell through. Dan. Oh, come on. Right? I mean, come on. Think the same thing. Hi, I'm Jimmy. Well, that was awesome and hilarious. And awesomely hilarious. Yes, yes, yes. Don't know what's going on with the microphones today. Well, that was awesomely hilarious. Thank you so much, Jimmy Kimmel, for being hilarious because, yeah, just take her out of the show. I, what's the big deal, everybody? I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a huge, crazy, crazy crime. Sorry about all the microphone mishaps today. Uh, hanging out at the Mutiny Radio Studios here, 21st in Florida. Coming up next is Some Call Me Tim and... I think I have a person on today. I, I just, I, I have so much trouble because I book these things ahead of time and then I talk to people and, oh, damn, I'm wearing a long skirt and it's getting caught up in everything. And I, things are crazy. Latoya's not here. She sent me a message yesterday about being around for the last 45 minutes and I didn't, I thought she was talking about yesterday's Sparkast, but no, she was not. I, maybe she was talking about today this AltaCast. But I don't know. People, this is crazy. Type. Okay, so Ambien. Ambien Horror Stories. Let's get into it. Uh, so, you know, Roseanne said some crazy things online, and boy, oh boy, that didn't work out. Uh, so she might have ruined her entire career. Uh, here's some people reading ambient horror stories. I had the same symptoms as you, and there are many horror stories of people doing things they don't even remember doing. For me, the mental torture of them, followed by the physical pain they caused my body the next day, made me stop right away. You can become dependent on them as your body gets used to the, using the drug for sleep. Personally, I would never stray away from putting other strong drugs into your system right now. The creepy crawlies are the worst at bedtime. Creepy crawlies, huh? This person said, any comments on the medication Ambien? Does anyone else think it's addictive besides me? I have not, I have not only had bad 
withdrawal symptoms due to hydro, but I believe this has affected me as well. My nights are terrible, horrible nightmares. I've been taking it for about seven years, taking Ambien for two weeks, then switching to Ambien CR, then going back and forth between the two. This is night two without it. Let me know what you think. Wow. So this one is about, um, they're saying, can you get addicted to it? But this is, here's a good one. 12 stories. Ambien continues to be abused and is used to commit horrifying acts of violence. (laughs) Who knew that Ambien, that lovely little pill that puts so many people into a a syrupy thick sleep could cause so many people to have drug-induced freakouts. Crimes committed on Ambien aren't like other drug crimes. Most of the assaults, accidental murders, and submarine arsons that people who are high on the world's favorite sleep drug commit are clouded with a miasma of uncertainty. Similar to stories of people getting high on Flocka and other designer drugs, Ambien users who commit crimes rarely remember doing anything other than going to bed and waking up in police custody. It's like a forced blackout. These Ambien horror stories are all straight out of your worst nightmares and will definitely have you rethinking your prescription drug intake. Not all Ambien crimes occur after people take the sleep drug. Many of them occur concern creeps using the sleep aid to roofie someone before raping them hoping the hallucinatory side effects of the drug will remove the victim's memories of the crime everything on the list of worst things people have done on ambient is straight out of the horror section of your own brain if you're just judging by stories included here when people take ambient they murder their families kill innocent strangers and become locked in an elaborate nightmare scenario where they're constantly living through a plane crash. Hopefully, there are a few people who are actually getting some sleep when they pop an Ambien at the end of the day. I want to read more about the horror stories, but it's... uh, The computer box is being funny about it. Crime and murder. A police officer drugs his wife with Ambien rapes her on camera then kills his family what joshua born a police officer from linden utah spent the last year of his life drugging his wife kelly born with ambien and videotaping himself raping her while she was unconscious his wife finally left him and unable to deal with the repercussions of his actions Bourne killed his wife, their children, and his mother-in-law before turning the gun on himself. Just before their deaths, the couple entered into an intensive text message argument where she said she wanted to end the marriage. In multiple text messages, she accused him of raping her. Prior to the murder-suicide, Bourne allegedly Googled the terms America's most brutal serial killers and narcissism before his shift ended at the police department. He sent his final text message to his mother. I hope you're having a good day. Have a long and healthy life. Oh, God. And the picture of the family is she's gorgeous and the kids are gorgeous. This is crazy. This can't be real. This can't be real. Former football, professional football player, rapes women using Ambien. In 2014, Darren Sharper a former safety for the Minnesota Vikings and New Orleans Saints, was charged with a series of rapes. Prosecutors alleged he drugged women with Ambien and had his way with them. According to the Arizona police, Sharper would pick up women in a bar, take them to his hotel room, 
and offer them a drink. Then they would black out and wake up mid-sexual assault. In 2016, Sharper pled guilty, pleaded guilty to several sexual assault charges and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Guy takes an Ambien and sets a submarine on fire. Everybody's been in this situation. Unfortunately, Casey Fury didn't get away with it. In 2012, the civilian worker at the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard was high on 14 Klonopin and an Ambien when he went to work and ignited two bags of rags aboard the USS Miami that burned for 12 straight hours inside the submarine. Freer was immediately caught and sentenced to 17 years in prison and ordered to pay a 400, 400 million restitution. How do you do that? Jackie Warner takes Ambien, drinks, and drives. Jackie Warner, the host of Bravo's TV workout, allegedly crashed her car into a telephone pole in West Hollywood on February 24, 2016, while driving under the influence of Ambien and booze. To an extra amount of uh-oh to this story, she struck a police patrol car and almost backed over a cop who was trying to keep her from fleeing the scene. According to Warner, the last thing she remembers is taking an Ambien at home and then waking up in a hospital under arrest. The arresting officer claims that Warner was driving without pants at the time of the DUI. Crazy. Ambien, everyone. Ambien. And that's all Roseanne did was a really offensive tweet? I mean, she could have killed somebody. That seems like what other people are doing. Driver crashes into Bible bus, killing 12 senior citizens. Oh, this is nuts. In April 2017, a 20-year-old who had a history of poor driving named Jack Young crashed his truck into a church bus and killed 13 senior citizens who were members of the First Baptist Church of New Brownsfeld, Texas. A witness who called 911 to report Young's erratic driving prior to the incident stopped to speak to Young after the crash and claimed that Young said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was texting, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was later released that Young was not only driving and texting, but he was high on clonazepam and the generic form of Ambien and Lexapro during the crash. Well, clonazepam is uh, benzodiazepine in the two-pan family, so that's like a Valium, like a super Valium. Clonies, clonazepam. Man takes Ambien and hallucinates a plane crash. This is interesting. Back in 2016, a 75-year-old man from Renton, Washington, took an Ambien and had such a revert adverse reaction that he believed he was in the middle of a plane crash. In the middle of his Ambien hallucination, the man called 911 and claimed he was in a plane with three other people. The 911 call went like this. Operator, are you able to safely get out? Caller, no, I'm pinned in. Operator, did it hit any buildings or just fly into trees? Caller, in the trees, in the field with the trees. Afterward, the man who refused to be identified claimed that he only took half an Ambien because he couldn't sleep after surgery. Sleep expert Dr. Gandis Malizika said it must have seemed really, really real to him to call 911. It must have been like a real hallucination for him. And does that, and that does speak to some of the potency of Ambien. Oof, that was a difficult, that was not uh, translated well. Oh, I don't even want to read this one. It's too sad. Oh my God, New, jo New Jersey school board member drugs six-year-olds with Ambien. 
In 2014, Curtis M. Campbell, a member of the school board in Gloucester County, New Jersey, was arrested for giving Ambien to two six-year-olds who were sleeping over at his house for unreported reasons. There was no talk of sexual misconduct on the part of Campbell, but it's really a really creepy thing to do. Two years later, he was sentenced to six years in prison after admitting he drugged the two children with his prescription sleeping pills. Man allegedly high on Ambien kills his girlfriend. On May 7th, 2014, Nixon Bourguignon strangled his girlfriend in their apartment in Havistraw, New York. According to police reports, their two children were sleeping nearby during the horrific events. After the arrest, Bourguignon's lawyer claimed he was high on Ambien at the time of the murder. Although doctors who treated Bourguignon directly following the incident said he had no signs of taking the sleep aid. His lawyer claims... The only thing he remembers is that he took two of the 10 milligram pills on the night of the assault and then he woke up under arrest. In 2015, a jury found him guilty of second degree murder. He was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Okay, so I think it's safe to say that like crazy stuff can happen on Ambien. Wow. Uh, It's just, that's... It's scary and creepy. Uh... 44 Ambien stories that will creep you the F out. Here we go. Do you, uh, you do the weirdest things and can't remember them. I took Ambien for nearly six months. I don't know what rumors you've read about Ambien, but I can only imagine that most of them are entirely true. On numerous occasions, I would wake up and find my kitchen in total chaos. Baking pans, skillets, knives, cutting boards, etc. as if I'd prepared a seven course meal, which I apparently had been doing entirely in my sleep with no recollection of it. It wasn't until my girlfriend set up a video camera that I realized that was happening. On two occasions, I woke up and my car was parked either in the neighbor's driveway or down the block. I had apparently sleep driven on more than one occasion. Ambient in scary, scary crap. It beat me down like a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest and apparently made me temporarily insane while I slept. Mysterious packages started arriving. I tried Ambien for a while. I would take it about 30 minutes before going to bed and browse around online waiting for it to kick in. I started receiving packages from Amazon that I didn't order. It was all good stuff that I liked, so I called around the family and friends trying to figure out who was so kind to send me stuff. When my credit card bill came, Everything was on there. Thankfully, nothing I couldn't afford. I checked my Amazon account, and apparently I ordered them myself and don't recall it. Thanks, Ambien. I stopped taking it for fear of what else I might do. You're like, that's so blackout drunk Pam, because I don't take Ambien, but blackout drunk Pam does always makes terrible mistakes for Pam. She always says, yeah, have a shot. Did you want it? Oh, I have a rule about, I have a rule about no whiskey after dark. And if I'm blackout Pam, I'm like, yeah, ignore all your rules. You're fine. You know those are your rules, but you're fine. Um, one time I accidentally took acid. Blackout Pam said, yeah, I would love to do acid. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Pissed on my computer. About a year ago, I was in my college town and trying to get on my normal sleep schedule. I took my prescribed Ambien about 8 o'clock. Minutes after I t- taking it, my roommate walks in 
and talks me into going to the bar across the street. When I walked in, I was nervous about drinking while under the influence of Ambien. Two hours later, I'm walking back to the apartment about eight beers in. I'm not drunk at this point, however. I'm feeling the tiring effects of Ambien. I proceed to crash in my bed, sleeping like never before. The next morning, I wake up at 6.30, get dressed, and go to my 7 o'clock class. When I return at 9 a.m., I go straight to my computer to check my schedule for the remainder of the day. I can't help but notice the nasty, just washed your car and let the soap dry before rinsing it off film all over my glossy black Dell. As I'm pondering this, flashbacks in my mind occur. I have vague memories of waking up and going to the nearest light. My Dell... I proceed to piss all over the screen, keys, and nightstand. The side of my bed was wet as well. Thankfully, Windex cleaned everything and my computer still works. But damn, I pissed on my own fucking computer. (laughs) These are entertaining, aren't they? Uh, We're doing it without Doya. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm really brave. Pirates in my room. My dad used to take Ambien because he travels around the world for work a lot and has to deal with jet lag all the time. He stopped after multiple conversations with me or my brother that he would simply not remember taking place the next morning. Now for me, I took Ambien briefly when I was 19 because I was suffering from some pretty severe insomnia. Now my dad had just given me a couple from his prescription. I hadn't seen a doctor or anything that had prescribed me them, so I wasn't really sure what to expect. I had taken sleep aids previously, but nothing like Ambien. So at about 11 p.m., I'm settling down for the night, thinking about trying to sleep, which I hadn't successfully done for about 40 hours, and pumped an Ambien. Not knowing that those fuckers kick in quick, I figured I had 30 or 40 minutes before I started to feel sleepy, which isn't how Ambien works anyway. And so I went outside and slowly smoked a joint. By the time I came back inside, the Ambien had fully kicked in, and boy does weed and Ambien mix weird. The hallucinations kicked in about 10 minutes later. Nothing too crazy at first, just some waves on the wall, and my computer screen appeared to be constantly jarring around. It wasn't impossible to focus on. Things got much worse from there. The only way I can recall, really describe it, is to say it was like I was dreaming. Not that floaty, whoa, I'm high type of dreaming, but full on shit doesn't make sense and there's fucking pirates in my room type dreaming. My mind would jump from the situation to situation and I would honestly believe I was in them, but I could not remember what they were the next morning. It was as if dream world and reality had intersected in my little one bedroom apartment. I don't really remember much else that night. I figured I finally fell asleep around 5 or 6 a.m. and woke up around noon the next day. Best night of sleep in days, incidentally. I had passed out on the floor of my living room wearing jeans and a hat, but no shirt or socks. My coffee table was upside down and there were remnants of a small fire in the corner of my carpeted living area. I have no idea what the fuck I got up to. The only image I have is a vague recollection of chanting nonsense and dancing around the room, hoisting a pimp cane from an old Halloween costume into the air, on which I'd stuck a roll of toilet paper, which I then set on fire. I attempted to recreate my experience the next night, but with less fire, it went okay. Latoya made it. Um, They're on your chair. There's a pair on your chair. Um, uh, I, I'm reading Ambien stories because Roseanne was on Ambien when she said her racist shit. Excuse for 
Or racist ex- or excuse for racism is ambient. But now I was reading all of these ambient stories, and this last one was amazing. <laughs> I mean, it was. This is this is the. I'll just re- re- recall it just one more time because it's so beautiful. I had passed out on the floor of my living room wearing jeans and a hat but no shirt or socks. My coffee table was upside down and there were remnants of a small fire in the corner of my carpeted living area. I have no idea what the fuck I got up to. The only image I have is a vague recollection of chanting nonsense and dancing around the room, hoisting a pimp cane from an old Halloween costume into the air on which I'd stuck a roll of toilet paper, which I then lit on fire. Uh, this is why I don't fuck with sleeping pills or ambient. Yeah, Which, that's. Do you have you ever? Um, you know what? I'm gonna have you use the other microphone. That one doesn't seem to be working. So this one that works. one works. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on with microphone too. I gotta check the things. Right here. There we go. Do you, have you ever used ambient? Uh, uh, no. Okay. Neither have I. Yeah, it's um, it's a forced blackout basically. Yeah, I'm afraid yeah. of shit like that. Absolutely. I only do it by alcohol. Ah, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah, blackout I, that is. Yeah, blackout. But, but it's the same thing. It's like it's a forced blackout. It's basically like, okay, so I don't know if Ambien's in the. I, and I love this that it's A M B N. Morning, morning's good, but it's morning's bad because it makes you do crazy shit like what Roseanne did. Now, that's not. But her the thing excuse. is, it's a, a, a drunk man's. It's an old, you know, saying. A drunk man's actions are a sober man's thoughts. And mm-hmm. so here's the thing. Roseanne's racist. She's been racist. She's said some terrible things. She's done some terrible things. This She's is not been, her first rodeo. This is not her first rodeo of stuff. Exactly. Did she, like, people are in the media are not mentioning, uh, wasn't it like in 1990 she did the national anthem? Yeah, when she and was she like, sp- ah, Yeah, she yeah, spit she on the ground and grabbed her crown. Yeah, she spit on America. So that was, yeah. Yeah. And then, like, she dressed up as Hitler with the cookies. Uh, baking as like Jewish people in the oven. It's, it's, it's not. This is not the yeah. first. We're. It's. But the thing is this: in America, we only forgive people racism if they're pretty. So like Mel Gibson, he said some terrible anti-Semitic things and um, just terrible stuff. But everyone forgave him. And you know. But I look forgot. at look at um. But you've got Kathy Griffin. She does her thing with Trump, and she's not back yet. She's slowly coming back. She's. But she's. But she's not saying anything. Right. That's the difference that people that's, need that's to. That's true. The, the, here's the thing. You're. There are things that people say that are offensive, right. but there's difference between being racist. Michael Richards. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't come back either. That rant was funny to me, but yeah, his career is gone because of that stupid shit. And yeah. just like, I don't care who it is. If you say something, first of all, use the oldest racist thing to say, calling black women apes. I mean, come on, and Muslim Brotherhood. I it, I, I can't imagine how she was trying to be funny or how she thought it, should, it would be. A it good was. Idea. It's not even a joke. It's that's, not even a that's, joke. That's, no, that's it's just a, a mean. It's a, just a terribly mean, racist thing to say. Yeah, that there's no punchline. There is nothing yeah. to dissect as a joke in that it's, statement. It's a it's a really mean, racist thing to say. Exactly. About a yeah. But also too, here's when the network. Listen, this is who you are getting. Right, yeah. This is who you were getting, uh, fucking ABC, a.k.a. Disney. Right, right. And so, and you know who it was? The the person that fired her was a black woman, which is irony, which is funny. But also, that black woman also 
gave that gave Roseanne a chance by hiring her and rebooting the show. So there's two. I mean, both. I think both parties are guilty, but I just like the fact that you know what a a black woman can hire her and fire her ass all at the same time, very swiftly. Absolutely. You know. So yeah. And 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 they have to in the wake of the Starbucks. So during the show, I've did a bunch of Starbucks stuff, and we listened to what's happening. And um, damn it, I'm sorry. And then no, 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 it's all good. It just it was like it was. I was like, why isn't she here today? I'm talking about institutionalized racism. And then this is this is the crazy thing about um, Trumpito. Because when he weighs in on the racism with Roseanne, he talks about himself. He's yeah. like, yes. well, ABC apologized yeah. and said that from there, but he, I haven't gotten the call. You, you read- whiny baby bitch. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, you read baby. that tweet. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe it. I'm me, like, me, 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 I'm me, on me, fire. me, Put me, 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 me. Right. Okay. How about how about it, how about how about it exists because of you? He's the president of the United States, and he has to. He's he's trying to take like not saying any moral stuff. You have to call out racism. Why wouldn't you? You have the opportunity. Because he's a racist. I know, but that's the thing. Is that and, and that's why that's why this is all happening, and that's why it's blowing up. It's it's people are feeling so so emboldened now to be out there and walk down the street and call someone a nigger it or don't so speak Spanish. Scary. Oh, that thing about yelling at people for speaking Spanish. That's insane. I, I love what you said last week with when when, you, when you're an immigrant, how old of an immigrant are you? We're all immigrants. Well, because you're an immigrant from, when's the cutoff? Like, yeah, right. if you're an immigrant from 10 years ago, well, we don't, you know, you're not you're not real American. Yeah. But if, yeah, if you came before 1920, well then, well then you're okay. But if you came <laughs> after that, no. It's like, we're all immigrants and yet, Unless, like we said last week, uh, you got papers. Some, it, like, and like that's me. what the Starbucks, so the Starbucks guy, and I never thought that I'd like the Starbucks CEO, so surprise, surprise, he talked about humanity and trying, He's they spent like $10 million, and how do you train racism out of people? Well, he called Trump out. He said, how can we, when our, when our president right now isn't saying anything about racism, he's... He's basically condoning institutionalized racism. And not even just institutionalized like the past presidents. He's like actually condoning the full on, hey, it's okay to call people niggers and spicks and kikes and all that fun stuff. I mean, the, uh, you know, it's okay to be a sexist bigot. I mean, it's okay. But you know, here's, here's the okay. funny part about being a racist, sexist bigot. It, it gets expensive. You lose money. Be- you don't yeah. you don't you you don't benefit from being an ignorant son of a bitch. You lose your job. Right. Just like the lawyer a couple weeks ago that went on that rant about people speaking Spanish. Look what they did to him within the past two days. He lost his office in Manhattan. He um he uh they booted him out of the office. Um who is going to hire him as a lawyer? And and then this goes to Roseanne. Like maybe I'm sure some white white wing like group will probably pick her up. She's got fans that believe, you know, that's like, yeah, you know. It just polar. It continues to polarize the United States and the concept that our president didn't fucking say anything about it. What you say is, if you're gonna make a response, and especially when you tweet responses, you fucking babies. You know, it's like if you guys, if everyone wasn't so willy nilly about their tweeting, this wouldn't even be an issue. Like, get your PR person on their fucking game, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that he didn't tweet because it just shows you who he no, is. He did. He tweeted, no, but I mean, instead of yeah. About, I mean, about racism. But this is an opportunity for him to address the so fucking is issue. The, the, all of this, <laughs> so is Starbucks. So is everything that's happening right now. 
there is it is blowing up racism is a huge thing right now it's really happening and our president is complicit and activates because he's complicit to what's happening and he doesn't negate it and he doesn't shame it and he doesn't say it's wrong and he doesn't take a moral standpoint against racism because he doesn't do that he condones it because and he activates you- it and lets it be more because that's that's their job isn't it didn't we used to hold didn't we used to hold our presidents to a higher standard of morality because they're making choices for all of us what the fuck is wrong with us <laughs> people i mean i think <laughs> you know i'm so scared i'm i'm not afraid seriously i'm not i'm not seriously afraid. i'm not afraid i'm not i'm actually i'm enjoying this you know why I'm slightly enjoying this? Because it, everything that these stupid motherfuckers, and then there are also some, you know, there's the, the there's racist liberals as well. Don't sure. The, I mean, but sure. my, yeah, my point absolutely. is. Everything that's coming out is always going to be it's going to be on the wrong side of history. Right. And the reason why I'm enjoying that because people have for so long thrown America as this big shining sea and this great place, but our flaw, the 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 flaws of this country, the chickens are coming home to roost. Basically, is all <laughs> I've got to say. And the fact of the matter is just like who oh in their right mind trusts this country anymore. How I mean, can we? you can't. We have so many issues that we've just put under the rug for so long. Yeah. And this and this is our original sin. Our original sin was taking. Well, not me, but was stealing land from the red man, killing a whole genocide of people, and then to make things to add on top of that slavery. Right. Slavery. And then which yeah. we're still all those things: the taking of, this kidnapping of, the the institutionalized yeah, is still what's going on. And yes, things it's the have rich people better. taking away from people who didn't. But that's the thing is we didn't appreciate or recognize we I say we because of all white people we didn't appreciate appreciate or recognize their culture as worth that it they are human beings we but, said you're not people we said we're you're not humanity because you come from some tribal we're somehow better or elevated because of our houses or our clothes or whatever the fuck was wrong right absolutely. we said you're not human this is human but we're all it's people didn't even think and, and people didn't think black people were humans even. They thought that, uh, they thought, yeah, which, they, which goes back to a thing that they, no, that they related to apes. apes that's, that's why it's so racist and awful. Is that like 150 years ago, there were scientists saying that um, Africans weren't, you know, that, that the reason, the, the reason, the reason that you were allowed to enslave them is that they were closer to animals in, they, well, they were closer to animals in makeup of, of genetics, but it, of genetics, but it doesn't make sense because th- they spoke a different language yeah. and like maybe they didn't get written language or they, but they still had, we, we just didn't value them as people. And I just, it's We weren't westernized white enough. And I mean, but that goes back to even what we were just talking about immigration. We can even go back to, oh my gosh, something so recently when the Irish came over and the Italians came over. So when some yeah, yeah. some Trump supporters, great, great grandparents right. were, were they called WAPs? WAPs. What does WAP stand for? 
Without papers. They came over here without papers. Oh, because yeah. I, I thought yeah, it, but they used to call WAPs and Dagos? What's Dagos, that that's, from? That's, that's Italian. That's Italian, but I don't know. But I know without papers is Italian. Oh, yeah, without yeah. papers. Exactly. And, and, and then the Irish. Dago. I don't understand Dago. But the fact of the matter, not too long ago, right. there were the dirty immigrants. Oh, right, right, yeah. That yeah. were treated, the Irish and the black folks, Irish were almost treated as bad as black folks during the uh, uh, reconstruction in the 1870s, 1880s. Which is why they took over the police departments because exactly. they were taking care of their so own. They got, so they knew why. And then that, they got some political power because they had all the go. police. There you go, see? Pam, mm. Speaking American history, that's yeah. spitting knowledge. Yeah. And this is where we are now. And by the way, here's something about Roseanne that people, again, in the media aren't mentioning. She was raised Jewish. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Well, she's a yes. self-hating Jew, though. Well, that's, I yes. mean, that's. And that's even worse. Well. You're, you, you hate yourself that. Well, you know, it's hard to put blame, the racism blame on people individually because it is such a systematic environmental issue that we've been dealing with for so long and that we pretended that it was gone for eight years when Obama was in office. For eight years, we were like, oh, there's no more racism. It just doesn't even okay. exist. Well, at least from my perspective, I was like, look, all the white, look, there's no more racism. Does anyone remember when she was politically kind of liberal at one so certain oh, point? Oh, Roseanne? Yeah. Well, uh, then, yeah, because yeah. she was a feminist and she was down with the lesbians because she had that lady on her show who, Sandra Bernhardt right yeah uh, but I mean the thing is I think it's individual and I also do believe it's environment but as an individual <clears throat> I lived in an environment was completely opposite of what people would have thought and I, I grew up in a like I've said I grew up in a mostly all white town I'm done oh, okay me too <laughs> but, uh, um, sorry guys no it's great we're, and, we're smoking but, a J thanks I mean, for bringing it as an individual there were times when, you know, I wanted to say a racial slur to somebody, but that's not who I am. Well, for and me, not- it's not about it's a racial slur. It's <laughs> someone's being an idiot and I want to yeah. say something mean. Uh, and no, that's the worst I can get. And that's the worst it can get. Yeah. But I, I don't, I mean. I don't think, but also my environment, you know, it was, it was Christian and white. So you would think that I would become a Christian black person. No, I actually am the... I'm a black person. I'm a human being, number one, first. <laughs> yeah. And secondly, I'm not a Christian, but I do respect people's other, you know, values. Sure. And it's all about being respectful yeah, and opening your eyes to things when it's racism. There is there is no if, ands, or buts. And people want to be so soft on the fact, well, you know, she said something wrong or, you know, that the lady at the barbecue or that called the black people on the barbecue, well, you know, she didn't know what they were doing. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that because you're lying to yourself. Well, yeah, you got to, I mean, take responsibility and yeah, it's the first step to acknowledge. I think there's people that don't want to, there's a ton of people that don't want to take responsibility. There's a lot of people that, there's a lot of people that don't even know what they're doing is racist. Yeah. And someone should hit them upside the head. Well, it's, it's because when you're, when you're racist, for, for example, like the worst thing I can say when, when, when someone's being you know, cunty. I call them a cunt, but that's yeah. because it's and it's usually a woman. It's not usually a man that I call that out on. I usually call them dick bags. But I try. I mean, my brain doesn't even really go to racial slurs. It doesn't. First. Even, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, if I'm gonna say something mean to some a person who's black, I'm not gonna call them. I'm gonna call them a N- cunt. I mean, 
kind but I will call anybody it. anything. If I do it in my head, that's because I do it in my head. I would never do that on the bus because I'm trying to be an upstanding member of society. And I don't I, want a child to hear that. And I don't want to get in a fight. And, and the bus driver, I don't want them to get distracted. And I just don't. I mean, it, things have to be pretty bad for me to like. I like to curse people myself. out. I don't. I like to curse people out. And when I do curse, it says you're a stupid motherfucker it, because you're stupid, and it's so easy. I don't. I did mention like there have been times when I wanted to say a racial slur, but I'm like, no, why? I mean, just because I, I sometimes wanted to call people cracker ass cracker for being uh, but stupid. It's but, just such a funny. But that's, that's, a funny that's the one. only racial that's slur I would. I like to say sometimes it's cracker ass cracker because it's not even because there's a certain even, type. Of you know crackers, there's saltines and ritzes. <laughs> one has flambo, one is bland as fuck. And the, and you taught me that they were the ones that cracked the whip because I was like, that's yeah. the thing is I'm like it's, I don't understand Dago. That's I don't where crack, get it. Yeah, that's but where crack cracking the whip because crack yeah. crack in the and it was always it was always a poor cracker. See, mm, mm. poor white cracker. Poor. And then you made delicious delicious saltines. <laughs> uh, I forgot what I was going to say about institutionalized racism. It's crack. okay. No, no, no. It's a good rant. Uh, because it's it's really sad. It's and sad. There's, and I, how do we fix did it? Did you ever watch any of the episodes of the new show? I actually kind of no. Liked, well, I watched three episodes in the three. I, liked. I like Dan, the character Dan, and I like I've always liked like that kids. actor. Um, and Jackie. He's so great with Disney stuff too because he does all the voices for all the things. John Goodman. John Goodman. He's from Springfield, Missouri. He's a great. He's great yeah, actor too. He's, he's lost all the weight, so he's job. gonna he's gonna live longer. He, yeah, he is. Well, they all have the job. Isn't that fucked up though? Yeah, that's what Jimmy Kimmel said that they should just rename the show Dan, Dan instead I saw that. of that was really that's, funny. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's a good idea. But I mean, it's done. It's done. It's over. It's unfortunate. They actually, they sh- I think that they should just have it without her because that's the biggest. Isn't that nah. the biggest F you? No, they have to nah. wipe the whole slate clean. They gotta- yeah, you got to know. That just, you know, that just suck, fucking sucks. Because I actually used to like her. Yeah, and then well. I, then she like turned, she started turning crazy. Like she had a talk show in the 90s I used to watch. Uh, yeah, too. I really also. She was crazy. I think it has a lot to do with Ambien. I really do. And it's I not don't an excuse. believe that. But that bitch been all the all the crazy things. It's just that her handler should keep nah. her away from her phone. Nah. It's the same thing about drunk Facebooking what or you, drunk what texting. What do you say about what she what she called um uh what's her face? She called someone else. I didn't know this. It was um uh who was the attorney, other, gen- other attorney general? Loretta said. Lynch. She called Loretta Lynch an eight. In 2013, I didn't know about that shit. That's that's terrible, and it, it's just so. I mean, that and was that Ambien then, or uh, when she dressed knows? up like a not when she dressed up like a Nazi? I'm not making excuses for you white people who are saying racist shit. You are racist. I but I mean I don't believe. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making, making excuses. I'm not making nope. an excuse. You but what I'm saying <laughs> is that Ambien is dangerous, and people really should. Check it out and see if they're. Uh, so is alcohol. So is crack cocaine. That's true. That's true. So if I don't care, it's ambient maker. Drug. Ambient maker to Roseanne. Racism is not a side effect thank of our you, drug. Thank you, Ambient. They they clapped back really well. That was really funny. They clapped back. They, I have to give them. I don't like pharmaceutical companies, but that was a great clap back. That was because they're absolutely right. Ambient does not make you race. Wait, what? Is We're right to call out Roseanne Barr's racism, even if it deepens our divides. I mean, it's the racism thing is those people who agree with her are racist. It's just so it's no, I mean, I don't agree with what she said. I I, I just think that it's interesting that she would blame Ambien. And I think it's interesting that there are so many people that have crazy Ambien horror stories. Right. But the thing is, 
she's done this before. Ambient, no ambient. It don't matter. Yeah. It don't matter. It 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 is what it is. There's no excuses for you if you say ignorant. How shit. about how about this? This is cute. Imaginary air race on a flying mattress. A couple of years ago, I decided I'd take 25 milligrams of Ambien for shits and giggles. Okay. Pretty soon, I was having the time of my life sitting in my chair with my eyes closed because whenever I closed my eyes, I would feel the chair take off like a plane and fly really fast. My mattress did the same thing. In fact, I had an imaginary air race on my flying mattress against my cool new friends who had materialized through the wall earlier that night. It wasn't so much a hallucination as it was a vivid waking dream. Ambien is some fucking crazy stuff. Oh my gosh. Fun, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. fuck with that. I don't fuck with sleeping pills. I just we just Yeah. I'm afraid I'm I'm afraid like I'm gonna Judy Garland it. Like if you know what a Judy sure. Garland is. Sure. What yeah. is when you accidentally kill yourself because yes. you're sad when you're blacked out? Yep. That's exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I don't want to Judy Garland my shit. No, I'm afraid mm. I'm, I'm afraid those uh unison pills mm. too. Uh at uh, Walgreens, sure, Unisom, yeah. I don't, just, Amb- and yes, I. Uh, Ch- what's her face? Uh, Chelsea Handler did an episode of her show last year when, when she was on Ambient. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And it was really fucked up. I'm like, see, this is why I don't fuck with that. That's shit. crazy. Because she was doing crazy shit too. This is Teddy Bear Rescue. This is another good story. I started oh. taking Ambient a couple months back to help get more restful sleep. The first night I took it, I hallucinated that all my clothes in my closet turned into zombies that were planning a Whoa. sneaky attack on me. It was so weird. I could see them whispering to one another. At one point, I remembered my childhood teddy bear was trapped in the closet with the zombies and I needed to rescue him. I bust out my iPhone, called my best friend to fill him in on the situation and proceeded to turn on the lightsaber app and swing my phone back and forth at the closet. I managed to snatch my teddy bear and go to sleep a little bit after that. Um, no. Zombies? Clo- no. Love it. No, I'm good. I'm good. I am good on the sleeping shit. Yeah. It's just funny to me that what? Like, I mean, the thing is, just like, and that's another thing. I might do something I will regret. You yeah, know, I absolutely. might do something. People, I'm, none of these yet have talked about waking up and having um, Taco Bell everywhere. People will get in their yeah, car and drive, drive to a place and get takeout, lots of it, yeah. and go home and eat it. And then they're just like, I did what? Like, you don't even remember. There are people that have been arrested with DUI. Yeah. Because, you know, didn't John They wake Stamos up in jail or, or whatever. Yeah, like, didn't John Stamos know. or something get, like, he got, got arrested. That nigga was on Ambien. Yeah, it'll do it. Yeah, I'm like, and you could kill yourself or somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, yeah, I'm good. Nope, no, thank you. I will stick to a couple of legal drugs and pot. This one says, this is not a funny story. Okay, I don't want to do that one. scary. Is there a Debbie Downer one? Come on. It's super downer, I think. Here we go. This is not a funny story. Okay. My dad's doctor prescribed him Ambien. I don't know the reason. He had a few incidents of sleepwalking, but nothing big until one day I was visiting my mom when he shows up on her doorstep and knocks. I open the door to find him standing shirtless on the porch with his car parked in the front yard and in the back in the street with every... Uh, door open. I drove him home and finally managed to get him inside after he fell and scraped himself up on the way out of the car. Came in to find our pantry door absolutely demolished and the couch flipped backward. Tried to figure out what happened from my dad, but he just kept mumbling about some 
some party, which I don't think ever actually happened. So I finally got him to sit and watch TV for a little bit before he consented to letting me help him to his room. I slept on his couch that day and he was thoroughly confused when he woke up that morning and found me there. He told me that he took the pills, went to bed and had no recollection whatsoever of the events of that night. Once I filled him in on what happened, he flushed the rest of the pills and called his doctor to tell him what happened and told her uh, he would no longer be using it. He also informed me that a month prior there had been an incident where he didn't remember driving to work and only came to when he bumped a pole in his workplace parking lot. Ah! Oh, damn. Oh, lordy. So, not forgiving Roseanne. <laughs> just saying that Just saying that a, a sober man's... A, a drunk man's actions are a sober man's thoughts. A blackout drunk Roseanne's actions are her thoughts so she's got some racist fucking stuff going on in her brain and like but that here's the, crazy but, but here's here's the thing gone? that makes me crazy here's the here's the ultimate this is the last thing i'll say about it and then we'll be done Aww. abc chastises roseanne and says you can't have a show because of your racism but our president has not been chastised for his racism and he's still the president mm-hmm. and pussy grabbing all of it. All, All of it. the terrible things. How come his reputation hasn't been besmirched? Why are we still okay with this idiot? Like, what is going on that we can be like, well, Roseanne now can't touch her with a 10-foot pole, but our president, he's a racist motherfucker, but we're fine with him. And we're why fine. can't, if there is a God, why can't they strike him down with something like a stroke? Yeah, or right. Or give me something evil. Yeah, something. God, get for real. No, seriously, God, no, no seriously. give me something. Throw something a little shade down here, please. <laughs> please, if, they, if you exist. <sighs> that would be great. No, uh, go well, have an ambient. Coming up next, we have some Call Me Tim where we will talk about God and all that kind of stuff. Thanks for joining us on the Alticast. I'm so glad that Latoya made it in. Yeah, sorry. I really wanted to be here. I rushed it's, here for my it's meeting. All Adult good. shit. Uh, and we'll be back next week giving yeah. you guys news and we'll stuff. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. 
So listen in to the weekly review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. brings you visual and auditory mind control for the Hello. talk to talk talk oh it does work okay so mike two is just really low that's weird la 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 for cool bands at clubs and bars all over the bay area subliminal sf creates amazing flyers posters and design for every need so go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Fantastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Fantastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. They're more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base ten times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army Skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey. Don't miss. Also. 
until 2 a.m. Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot a bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks.